for all your college football needs, check out GoForTheTwo.com. Get the latest with college football insider Joe Lisi only at GoForTheTwo.com. Football, this is the show for you. Welcome to today's edition of the Weekly Blitz. I'm your host, Joe Lisi. This is part of the Go for the Two Network. Today's show is sponsored by Jersey Pump. Are you a gladiator or a spectator? Step into the arena of life at jerseypump.com. We're about 75 days away from the start of the 2015 college football season. Top 25 polls taking shape. One of those polls. Phil Steele, who is the CEO of Phil Steele's Publications, just one of the brightest minds in college and pro sports, put out his top 40 poll yesterday. We're going to be joined by Phil himself at the bottom of the hour, just an outstanding mind, puts out a great publication, the best college football annual out there. Just love talking to Phil about his top 40. He put some... uh, Surprise teams, I want to say, in the in the top 25, higher than I would have put some teams. But you look at his top 10 overall, Ohio State, TCU, USC, Bama, Baylor, Georgia, Stanford, Florida State, Michigan State, and LSU at number 10, surprising LSU, Oregon, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Auburn, UCLA, Vontech, Clemson, Oklahoma, Penn State, Ole Miss, Miami, shocking. The Hurricanes, after a 6-7 and seven season, break the top 25 with Brad Kaya at the quarterback position. Arkansas, Boise State, Missouri, and Tennessee cracking the top 25 of Phil Steele's top 40. Just an outstanding mind in college football. And I really loved his publication because it goes three deep in terms of uh, positions and just the most in-depth college football annual around. It's a must-have if you're a college football fan. Each and every week, Phil puts out great information weekly, but he also puts a lot of work in this annual, and it is worth it. Trust me, the best publication in terms of college football. We're going to break down some of the key teams in the top 25. For me, a team that shocking for me is Bama. Uh, a lot of issues in terms of a lot, of, a lot of depth issues on the offensive side of the ball. I know they get the Oregon State wide receiver transfer. Mulaney comes over uh, to Tuscaloosa. But uh, a quarterback battle, Jake Coker, uh, trying, to, trying to finally win that job left by Blake Sims, fifth-year senior last year, that put up prolific numbers in Tuscaloosa. You look at the wide receivers, decimated a little bit. I know they have Robert Foster coming back, but they lose D'Angelo White, lose Amari Cooper. On the defensive side of the ball, lose Landon Collins, lose Dixon, a, a major contributor to that defense. And you look at that offensive line, two sophomores, a redshirt freshman. So they have some offensive concerns, in my opinion, not going to be just a plug-and-play type of system. So I'm a little shocked that uh, Bama's at number four, but – 
did a great job when I looked at his top 10 overall. Ohio State, TCU, USC, who I think will be there as well, with Cody Kessler, Steve Sarkeesian in the second year. I think the Trojans will have a much better grasp of the system under Steve Sarkeesian. Defensively is where they have some issues. They lose Leonard Williams. They lose Hayes Pollard. How can that Trojan defense make up for their losses? Sort of didn't show up in big games. You can look at their uh, – Games against UCLA over the last few years haven't been able to break through against that top 10 competition, top 25 competition, beat up on teams that are supposed to sort of an up-and-down defense, get those takes about USC moving forward in the 2015 season. Georgia, we know they're there each and every year. Key is going to be the quarterback position. Can Bryce Ramsey or Bowder win that job? They have Grayson Lambert, who now comes over from Virginia, that should add depth, but they are loaded on the offensive line. Four or five starters back. John Theus, starting offensive tackle, going to lead that offensive line. Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, and Keith Marshall, three-headed beast at the running back position. You look at those wide receivers, Justin Scott, Wesley, Isaiah McKenzie, Malcolm Mitchell. So the pieces are in place for the offense of Georgia. Can they get the missing piece of the quarterback situation situated that's the main concern if you're a Bulldog fan. Jeremy Pruitt has that defense jumping around. John Jenkins leading that defense. So that's going to be, excuse me, Jordan Jenkins leading that defense. That's going to be the main question uh, for Georgia overall. So we'll see how uh, they deal with uh, being in the top ten because this is a team that really hasn't dealt with adversity that well or being the hunted, so to speak, in the SEC East, the Bulldogs. Lost that game last year against South Carolina, missed field goal at the end of the ball game. A lot of pressure on Mike Bobo and that offensive staff. We'll see if the Bulldogs can break through in 2015. But without further ado, I want to welcome them in. Best sports publication out there for college football. Phil Steele joins us. Phil, how are you today? Hey, real good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. It's that time of year again. College football knocking at the door about 75 days away. I know you put out your top 40 a few days ago. No surprise with Ohio State and TCU, number one and number two. I look at, I look at Ohio State, though, Phil. How much will they miss offensive coordinator Tom Herman's departure? And in your opinion, can this team be better than they were last year? Yeah, I think the general consensus at Ohio State heading into last season was this was a team that would contend for the national title in 2015, not necessarily 14, that they were might be a year away. They were led by the super softs. They had a great sophomore class. And then, of course, Braxton Miller goes down. They end up using three different quarterbacks. This year, when you look at Ohio State, practically the entire team is back. As you mentioned, Herman's gone, but I think they'll do a fine job calling the plays on offense. And really, if you're looking for the uh, playoffs this year and you want to pencil in your bracket at the start of the year, Ohio State might just be the one team you could take a pen out. When you look at Ohio State's talent, they're all all eight units rank in my top 12 in the front of the magazine, with the only one not in the top 10 being the special teams, which rates number 12. And then the schedule. They play Virginia Tech, Michigan on the road. Those are the two toughest road games. They get Michigan State at home. I think Ohio State will be about a touchdown-plus favorite in every single game this year. I agree with you. I think when you look at the schedule overall, it really favors the Buckeyes moving forward. Any idea who wins that quarterback battle this coming fall, in your opinion, is it Cardale Jones? 
Uh, I'm actually leaning with J.T. Barrett to win the starting job. I like the way Barrett ran the offense last year. He, of course, beat out Cardero Jones in the spring. And of the three quarterbacks, Braxton Miller's the best runner. Cardero Jones has the best arm. And J.T. Barrett is the best combination of the two, runner and passer. So uh, I think no matter who they choose, they can't go wrong. But I went with uh, J.T. Barrett as my projected starter. I'm with you as well. I got asked that question uh, a few months ago. I think he progressed in the system and, and led the Buckeyes to the playoff appearance, even though we did go down against Michigan. So that would be a great pick, JT Barry. You look at this USC team from a defensive perspective, they lose Leonard Williams, lose Hayes Pillard. Not a bad season overall under Steve Sarkeesian, his first year there. Cody Kessler, dynamic quarterback. Can they make a run in terms of this playoff? I know you have them at number three. Defense is a concern. Talk to me about the defense overall. I think they'll be much better, but give me who you're looking at on the Trojans defensively. So when I look at USC defensively, it starts with Sua Cravens at the uh, the, the uh, strong side linebacker spot. Sua is one of those dynamic athletes, safety, linebacker, hard hitter, can cover. He's everything you want. I think he's got a long future in the NFL coming up. You take a look at a cornerback like a Dory Jackson. He was my number four-rated quarterback coming out of high school, played both receiver, played uh, cornerback, played return man, one of the most dynamic players in college football. Those were a couple of good places to start, but they've got talent throughout. You look at their linebacking core. Uh, I rated the number one linebacking core in the country, led by Jabari Ruffin, the Cravens, Dawson, and Anthony Serrao. Then up front, Delvin Simmons. And when I look at USC, I see a team that has really struggled with sanctions the last couple of years. As an example, in the bowl game against Nebraska, they had 39 scholarship players suit up for the bowl game, a ridiculously low number. Well, sanctions are gone. They do have much better depth this year. And remember, they lost two games last year in the final eight seconds. They lost the Hail Mary pass to Arizona State, and then Utah scores a touchdown with eight seconds left to beat them. Sort of wore down a little bit in the fourth quarter due to the fact they weren't that deep. This year's team overall is deeper than last year. They still have plenty of talent. And I think USC gets themselves in the playoffs this year. I'm in agreement with you as well with that. I think a USC Pac-12 contender Here's where I disagree with you a little bit. I know you have Dama at number four, Baylor at number five, and Georgia at number six. The one team I'm not so high on as a lot of people is Alabama. A couple of reasons why. Minus two in turnover margin last year. First time since prior to 2008 that they were minus in two, uh, turnover margin under Nick Saban. You look at that rushing defense. I know they gave up 104 rushing yards per game, but you look at the stop up in competition against Mississippi State, 136 they gave up against Tennessee, it was 181 against LSU, it was 183 against Auburn, 174 and against Ohio State, they got exposed for 281. The holes on offense are, are there. No D'Angelo White, Amari Cooper, and T.J. Yeldon. Talk to me about why you have Alabama that high. Is it because Nick Saban does it each and every year? Yeah, and when you look at Alabama, they get the number one recruiting class each and every year as well. So this is a team that's loaded with talent. You know that. They're second stringers and third stringers. They're all VHDs. And, uh, you know, you look at last year, and as you mentioned, it was an atypical Alabama defense. They only had five starters back last year. They gave up 328 yards per game. Now, 
I can count about 125 schools across the country that would love to give 328 yards per game, but that was the worst they've had in quite some time. This year they've got seven returning starters, arguably the best defensive line in college football, led by Sean Robinson and uh, Jaron Reed and Jonathan Allen up front. This linebacking core, I rate number three in the country with Reggie Ragland, Reuben Foster, and the secondary, which is Saban's baby, he helps coach that himself, is number seven in the country. I've got Alabama listed as the number one defense in the country this year. Offensively, they've got a new quarterback, but they had one last year. Blake Sims did good. He didn't have a great spring game last year, but did good during the season. I think Jake Coker, David Cornwell, Blake Barnett, whoever wins the starting job, can match his, him statistically. They've got the running backs with Derrick Henry. Kenyon Drake brings his speed. And then they add in the number one rated running back out of high school this year in Damian Harris. The receiving court does lose Amari Cooper, but last year I thought they just completely relied on Amari Cooper. This is going to allow some of these other guys to blossom, like a Robert Foster, who's six foot two, or, or Darius Stewart, Chris Black, and tight end O.J. Howard I think is going to have a big year as well. The offensive line loses some key players, but they do return their center in Ryan Kelly, their left tackle in Cam Robinson. And those are the two key positions that you want to return. Play the toughest schedule in the country. I believe there's eight or nine top 25 teams on there. But I think Alabama has enough with all these recruiting classes they've been bringing in. Got a pretty good head coach in Nick Saban and knows how to get the most out of it. And they, they are my pick to win the West. That's a great point. You can't argue what Nick Saban and that coaching staff has done, especially Kirby Smart on the defensive side of the ball and what Lane Kiffin brought to the table his first year uh, at, as an offensive coordinator. We know about Baylor and Art Riles. They're going to have a new quarterback. We know about Georgia. The question mark there is, can they find the quarterback, either Bryce Ramsey, Bowda, or Grayson Lambert, to step up? Stanford's an interesting team. I know they had some offensive line issues last year, but all Kevin Hogan does is win at the quarterback position. Talk to me about Stanford uh, another year under David Shaw and, and offensive line seem to gel down the stretch. Why do you like Stanford in number seven? Yeah, a big part of the reason is that offensive line. In fact, when I talked to Coach Shaw last year over the summer, he said that it may be and probably was his most athletic offensive line that he had. The problem was they were very young, and as you touched on, they got better as the season went on. In fact, in the last three games, when they let Kevin Hogan be Kevin Hogan, and that means run the ball as well as pass, they were pretty effective. Stanford in the last three games totaled 38, 31, and 45 points and went from the cusp of not making a bowl game to finishing the season 8-5. and five. This year they've got the momentum on offense. They've got Hogan. They've got their, all their running backs back. Uh, they do lose time Montgomery, but the bulk of the receiving core is back. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the country. Defensively, just three starters back, but Shaw rotates a lot of players. He's got a lot of VHTs. He's done a tremendous job recruiting. I think it'll be your typical Stanford defense. And they get the big game against Oregon at home this year. And keep in mind, they've had Oregon's number beating them two out of the last three years. They got whipped last year, but that was a young O-line on the road knots, and now they get them at home this year. And if Stanford wins that game, they win the North, that puts them in the Pac-12 title game, which puts them one step away from making the playoffs this year. So I think Stanford, after an 8-5 and five season, is going to return to being that 12- or 11-win team that they had been the previous four years. Great, great points. You have Florida State at number eight. Everett Golson comes over. I think he'll be in that mix. They they lose some holes on the offense and defense, and I, I think that's a great job by keeping them at number eight. A lot of people have them at top five. I don't 
see this team entering the season as a top-five team, even with Everett Golson. You look at Michigan State, interesting team under D'Antonio, always a solid defense. How much will we miss Pat Narduzzi, who moves on now to head coach at Pittsburgh? Yeah, that's a great question because those two have been together so long and Narduzzi has crafted some outstanding defenses. But uh, I think uh, a lot of folks could call this the defensive signals for Michigan State this year and be successful with the talent they have on that side of the ball. You look at Shalik Calhoun, surprised me a little bit by turning down the NFL, optimum return for his senior season. Lawrence Thomas, the guy at the other defensive end spot, he's a 6'4", 300-pound guy that was the number six-rated linebacker out of high school. He did very little his first three years in the program. In fact, he even got to move to fullback at one point. But last year down the stretch, he finally looked like the guy they thought he would be. And he had three sacks, including a key one in the bowl game. I think he's going to, he and Calhoun give them dominant defensive ends. Joel Heath up front at defensive tackle, solid. Secondary looks good. And offensively, this is a team with Jack Allen at center and Jack Conklin at left tackle that's very solid. Connor Cook, a veteran senior quarterback. I think Michigan State has a very good chance of knocking off Oregon on September the 12th. In fact, the only game I have them an underdog all year is that November 21st game at Ohio State. And as we saw last year, Michigan State's only two losses on the season just happened to be the two teams that played for the national championship, Oregon and Ohio State. And in both games, they led and appeared almost in control of those games, uh, ended up losing. But uh, I think Michigan State is one of those dark horse national title teams that is uh, November 21st is the game to watch. He does a great job in terms of cultivating talent. Doesn't get top 20, uh, top 10 classes like Urban Meyer and the other schools like Nick Saban, but does a great job with that talent, coaching them up from June, uh, the time that they're freshmen to the time that they leave in juniors and seniors. So I'm in agreement with you. Michigan State will be there. Here's a team that's always an enigma, LSU. We know they have quarterback issues last year, only 50% completion percentage with Anthony Jennings and Brandon Harris. Now they lose a key cog in that defense. Defensive coordinator John Chavis moves on. Jalen Collins moves on along with Quan Alexander. But they get Kevin Steele and Ed Ogeron. What was the reason why? Were you shocked for why Chavis moved to make a lateral move to Texas A&M? And is it all hindering upon the quarterback situation for LSU? Uh, I do think the uh, quarterback situation is huge for LSU, and sometimes you get those moves, and maybe it's just a clash of personalities. Maybe a, something happened between the the defense coordinator and the head coach to cause that type of move, or maybe there was just a more attractive offer out there. But sometimes those moves happen. But I, I do think Kevin Steele and, and Orgeron will do a fine job running the defense. In fact, this may be the fastest defense that Les Miles has put on the field. They've got seven returning starters from last year. Like the linebacking core led by Kendall Beckwith, they've got some players up front and in the secondary. That's going to be one of the more underrated defenses out there. I rate uh, LSU overall number three defense in the country. Now, offensively, when you've got Leonard Fournette in the backfield, you know he's going to draw the attention of the defensive coordinators. That should make the quarterback better as the season goes on. He's got good players to throw to in Traven Durrell and Malachi Dupree, the offensive line is one of the best offensive lines in the country. 
and I think they get better quarterback play. I'm calling for Brandon Harris to win a job. Harris, remember, last year was a true freshman. So when he stepped in and started his first game, it was against Auburn, didn't quite handle that situation very well. LSU struggled and didn't really get him much of a chance the rest of the year. But I think Brandon Harris is the best combo quarterback there. He's a dangerous runner. He's got the arm. I think he can be an accurate passer. And I think a much-improved Brandon Harris is going to have LSU back to contending in the SEC West again. And there's another game that I've already got circled on my calendar. November 7th, when LSU travels to Alabama, that was the game of the century for a couple of straight years uh, in college football. And it may have those type of implications again this year. Great, great point. We'll keep it. We'll keep it uh, charted on the on the schedule. A team that you look at Oregon, who was there with Marcus Mariota, now Vernon Adams from Eastern Washington steps up. You have that uh, them at number eleven. Uh, I could see why the question is a quarterback. Notre Dame now at number twelve. They lose Everett Golson. All the pressure on Malik Zaire. This is a team zero and four against top twenty five competition. One and five down the stretch. Defense really gave way in the last part of the season, giving up forty one point eight points per game and over 450 yards of total offense in those losses. Where do you see Notre Dame? All the pressure, in my opinion, is on Malik Zaire. This is a team that I have some question marks defensively. Why do you have them cracking the top 15? Well, you know, when I look at Notre Dame defensively, they had a very good defense in the first half of the year last year. Even the game when they traveled to face Florida State on the road, uh, they held them to 323 total yards offense, and that was with Winston at the QB spot. But then they had a key key losses injury-wise defensively, especially when Joe Schmidt went down at the middle linebacker spot. And that defense was so beat up at year's end that, as you touched on, they were giving up bushels of yards and points in their games. Now, this year's defense has 10 returning starters. They get those injured players back. And there was even a couple of players that were suspended for the season last year that are coming back. That defense is going to have some teeth, and they're going to far more resemble the unit from the first half of the year than the one that played in the last half of the year and could be one of the better defenses in the country this year. Offensively, I had Malik Sayer penciled in as the starter, and perhaps that's the reason that Everett Golson's now at Florida State. Maybe he saw the writing on the wall. They have a veteran offense as well with seven starters coming back there. They only lose eight lettermen. In fact, this team, 42 lettermen back, 14 lost, and once again, there was a couple players didn't play last year that get added into the mix, so they're even a more veteran unit than that. And when you factor in the schedule, look at their road games. Uh, Clemson's tough, but not an unwinnable road game. Stanford's extremely tough. We talked about Stanford before. Uh, that's a game I have an underdog in. But all the other games, they have a good shot at being favored in. And those two games where they are an underdog, they'll be just a slight dog. It wouldn't surprise me if we see this Notre Dame team mirror the 2012 team that didn't have high expectations but ended up playing in the uh, playoffs. Gelling as a unit down the stretch is going to be key. I really like what you did with Auburn. You have them at number 14. A lot of people have them in the top seven. I don't see it. And tell me if I'm wrong. I know Jeremy Johnson, a big prototypical pocket passer, but they lose 75% of the rushing touchdowns with Nick Marshall, Cameron Artis-Payne. They lose big play wide receiver Sammy Coates, who led the team in receptions. And that defense, everybody talks about the secondary, Phil. But in their five losses, that defense surrendered 263 rushing yards per game, 95 yards more than their season average of 168. I know Muschamp comes over, but in my opinion, not an easy fix defensively. Give me your quick thoughts about Auburn. 
Yeah, I think Muschamp will look good this year because the defense will be improved, but improving from giving up 400 yards per game like they have basically the last four years to get to the level of the Alabama and LSU defenses is going to be tough. So a much improved defense, but still not an elite defense, even though Muschamp will look real good. Offensively, as you touched on, uh, they're among the nation's lowest and fewest amount of returning yards, but I like the talent there. Jeremy Johnson, 6'5", 240. They've got three outstanding running backs. He'll step in. One of those guys will be a 1,000-yard rusher. Duke Williams, perhaps the top receiver for the draft. The offensive line outstanding with Alex Kozan, Avery Young, and Sean Coleman. Uh, you can make a case, and I see why Auburn's going to be a preseason top-10 team, but basically I – put a lot of uh, emphasis on defense in my magazine. They do have to play LSU on the road. They even play Arkansas on the road this year, which, uh, you know, that was not an easy game for them last season, especially in the first half. Alabama, the Iron Bowl game, I just think they slip up a couple of times during the course of the year, and that's why I picked them there. I agree with you. I'm, I'm not as high on them as a lot of other people. My sleeper, you have them at number 20, Ole Miss. A lot of returning starters on the offense and defensive lines. Defensively, I know they lose Golson and, and Pruitt at the safety position, but I still like what they have in terms of interior uh, defense and offensive lines. A quarterback's going to be an issue, Buchanan or Chad Kelly, but I think Hugh Freeze has the pieces in place. That's my dark horse to win the SEC West. What, is your, what team do you have in terms of making some noise that may Maybe not a lot of fans are thinking about this year. Well, we already touched on uh, Stanford earlier, so that's that's one of my top surprise teams. But uh, I agree with you as far as Mississippi being a threat. You know, remember that great recruiting class that Hugh Freeze brought in in his first year? Well, those guys are all now seniors, and you're looking at players like Tony Connor at linebacker, the number four defensive back out of high school, Robert Kimdichie, the number one defensive lineman uh, coming out of high school. On the offensive side of the ball, Laquan Treadwell should be back and healthy. The offensive line's got Laramie Tunsil, the number one rated offensive lineman out of high school. There's a lot of studs. A lot of guys going to be playing in the NFL off of this Mississippi team, and they're deep. It's a team loaded with seniors and juniors. Uh, they go three deep at most positions. I think my biggest question mark when it comes to Ole Miss is the quarterback. But let's face it, Bo Wallace, I mean, he had his good days. He had his bad days. So who's to say that the new quarterback won't be just as good, whether it's Chad Kelly, Ryan Buchanan, or Devontae Kincaid. And with the supporting cast they have to work with, they should have a strong season. Great point, and I don't think they'll be feared uh, in terms of their game going into Tuscaloosa. This is a team that uh, came back in the second half of that ball game to knock off Nick Saban uh, 23-17, to 17. so I think they'll be up and ready for that ball game. Uh, I think it's third week, fourth week of the year. Ole Miss will be ready for that game. So, Phil, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time out and joining me today. College football is great. We love talking about it. I can't wait to get the season started. Hey, Joseph, got to tell you, it's a lot of fun talking football, especially with a knowledgeable host like yourself that really knows what they're talking about. So uh, it very much enjoyed the conversation today. Thanks a lot, Phil. Always a pleasure. And you have to pick up Phil Steele's publication, The Best in the Business, philsteele.com. We'll put it up on the website. Phil, have a great day. All right. Thanks, Joseph. Have a good one. You too. You too. That was Phil Steele from Phil Steele Publications. Just a great, great College Football Mind, he puts out the best publication in the business. We talked on some major programs out there. We talked about uh, some of the top teams in the country. So going to put all his top 40 up on my website so you can get a, an idea of where Phil has your, your program. His publication will be hitting newsstands in the next couple of weeks. But, again, just some interesting, interesting uh 
coaches that Phil has, and I'm in agreement with Phil on some of them. I told you I'm not as high on them as he is. I love Ole Miss to win the West, but he is a great, great uh, evaluator of teams, and that's why he has Auburn at number 14. He's got Oregon, who a lot of people have at the top five. He's got them at number 11 with Vernon Adams from Eastern Washington, Washington taking over the range for Mariota. That's going to be the key question mark for Oregon. It, it can they hit on all cylinders? Again, I'll say this. When you look at offensive coordinators and you look at new players stepping in to fill roles, keep in mind, these are not professionals. These are younger kids, 18, 19, 20 years old. It's not just a plug-and-play type of system. Teams like Alabama and Ohio State have been able to do that. But, again, when you're looking at the body of work, top to bottom, not every team is getting top five talent. And when you look at coordinators overall, they're like pitchers. They have to get into a rhythm. It's, they have to understand the, the talent around them. It's new pieces to the puzzle. Even though they're top ten or top five recruiting classes that you have, you have to understand when you're calling plays how that talent responds in game situations. And Florida State's an excellent point off that. Look at last year with Jeremy Pruitt's departure. Charles Kelly stepped in. He was part of the program. But you're looking at the game through a different set of eyes. I've said this time and time again. Just because it's the same type of offense or defensive scheme, single back set, spread offense, wishbone, whatever it is, 4-3, 5-2, 3-4, you're calling the game through a different set of eyes. So if you have two coordinators that are calling a 4-3 defense, on first down, maybe I said this before, Jeremy Pruitt likes to blitz on first down. Charles Kelly likes to play zone. Maybe on second down, that's where Jeremy Pruitt will utilize a run blitz or Charles Kelly might throw a nickel at second down. He might play a base defense. He might blitz a corner. It's a different game. You're looking at the game through a different set of eyes. And that's the key statistic and the key note when looking at this talent. A lot of people, oh, Alabama, well, they did it last year with Lane Kiffin, and he came right in, and that's true. They had a veteran wide receiver group, Amari Cooper, D'Angelo White. They had T.J. Eldon at the running back position. They have some offensive holes this year on the O-line. Two sophomores are redshirt freshmen. We don't know who's going to win the quarterback position. We have three main, three brand-new wide receivers. Robert Foster comes on, and they get the kid Mulaney now from Oregon State, but he hasn't been there. This is a unit that has to gel as an offensive unit. And it's going to take some time. And you're going to have hiccups along the way and growing pains. You don't think that Alabama didn't have growing pains from an offensive perspective. I know they put up prolific numbers in 2014. But there were games that they did not play a complete four-quarter game offensively. Let's look at Ole Miss. They dominated from an offensive perspective early. They got a fumble recovery for a touchdown right before half. They got shut down in the second half of that game. The following week, they were on the road against Arkansas. Arkansas had to handle that offense in check. They went on the road against Tennessee, jumped up 27 to zip. 
They held on to win that game 34-20. They got outscored 20-7 to in the second half. They went on the road to LSU, struggled in the second half, uh, first half of that ball game and the second half, although they held a halftime lead. They kicked the field goal with less than 50 seconds left when Blake Sims took over. They should have lost that ball game because the personal foul penalty on LSU pushed them back to allow them to kick the field goal. Otherwise, they would have had second and goal from the five-yard line. So don't tell me Alabama was dominant with Lane Kiffin all season long. They had their hiccups along the way. Now, when they played West Virginia, yes. When they played Missouri, yes. They dominated offensively. When they played Auburn, they struggled, trailed that game again at half. Blake Sims threw three interceptions. So, to me, that offense wasn't hitting on all cylinders, even though they put up 55 points in that Iron Bowl. So you're seeing there's going to be hiccups along the way. And when you have younger kids, 18, 19 years old, stepping in and making their first career starter, being a full-time starter for the first time in their careers, they're going to have to deal with adversity. And that's where I think a lot of people don't recognize that. But that's what makes college football so great. That's what makes this game so special. Corey Allen will be with me a little bit later tonight. We'll be breaking down the other two games in the SEC. We covered them. Week number one, we covered Wisconsin and Alabama. Great, great matchup. And, and we covered Auburn and Louisville on our show a couple of weeks ago. We're going to break down the other two games in the SEC taking place. So it should be an interesting, interesting season to say that we stay with us all season long on the Weekly Blitz. Have a great week, everyone. Check us out. We're now on TuneIn Radio, talking college football. It doesn't get better than this. For Corey Allen, I'm Joe Lisi. Have a great weekend, everyone.